Students and guests, will you please welcome Dr. Schmidt. Thank you so much. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. And uh, greet students and alumni. And uh, these front seats, we asked to be reserved for my fan club. They didn't show up today. I'm glad you did. And uh, has anyone around here heard the term world changer? Ah, you've heard that one. Now, I come back from the days when it was Marion College. When I was here, we were more worried about the world changing us than having a vision for changing the world. And yet, uh, we talked about wanting to leave and make some kind of a difference. And so, uh, 20 years ago, when I graduated, left here and was involved in planting a church on the southeast side of Grand Rapids, uh, just a guy that had a dream of what God might do. And over these past 20 years, I'm not sure how much of the world has been changed, but I know that God has done a lot of work in changing me. And I want to pick up on just one principle with you today, and it's this. If you set your heart to make a difference, if you uh, have the ambition to be a world changer, that will tend to move you in one of two directions. It could move you towards being proud. And if it moves you in the direction of being proud, then your life becomes about power, accumulating power and exercising power. I remember when I first moved to our city, I was not all that familiar with it. I wanted to build some rapport with some of our community leaders, and so as a kid in my 20s, I put a few pennies together and took our mayor out to lunch. And I asked him a bunch of questions about the community. And when I was done, I said, you are an experienced leader. Tell me, uh, what, what words of wisdom would you have for a guy just starting out? And he said, never forget that power has the potential to corrupt. And he says, Wayne, don't be mistaken, not just financial power or not just political power, which is the kind I exercise as a mayor, he said, but spiritual power can corrupt. You know, I didn't know if I believed him at the time. He sure got me thinking about that. But I do know this, that when you leave this place, you'll encounter power struggles wherever you go. They might even occur here once in a while. They're found in businesses, they're found in academic settings, they're found in nonprofits, and yes, they're found in churches. There are people whose lives are about power and pride. And that's the direction that some people take as they have this ambition to change the world. But there's another path. Being a world changer can drive you to being humble. And your life isn't about power, but it's about serving. If I've learned anything over these past 20 years, it's this. How easily God could have done it without me. God chose sovereignly to move by his spirit across West Michigan 
and I just happened to be the guy who was there at the time he did it. And there are many days I start by getting down on my knees and saying, God, I recognize that you could have done it anywhere and with anyone, and the fact that I got to be part of it, that reality humbles me, and it changes my life forever. And that uh, sense of God could have done it without me has really been a compass for me. In fact, uh, recently someone came up to me, and this happens fairly often, they came up to me and said, Wayne, uh, it was after service, when you said this, God used it, it changed my life. Now, I'd normally feel pretty good about those statements, but I've noticed with frequency that they quote something I have not said. You see, I memorize my weekend messages normally. I know pretty much exactly what I say. And so they come up and say, when you said this, it changed my life. And I used to say, no, I memorized my messages and I didn't say that. And then I learned a little bit. God's speaking to their heart. And so now when they say that, I don't say yes or no, I did or I didn't. I just say, I'm glad God spoke to you in that way. And as I walk away, God kind of taps me on the shoulder and says, See, if you hadn't shown up today, my message would have still gotten through. Because I can speak to people through any words you say to cause them to hear what they need to hear. And once again, that humbles me. The Bible says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if you're going to make a difference in this world, it seems, at least at the beginning, you'd want God on your side. You don't want him to be the opposition. And so that uh, desire to have God on my side has also motivated me to try and stay humble before him. Now, how do you talk about humility? I mean, even to presume to talk about it doesn't sound very humble. I'm sure you all heard of the person who was given the award for being humble and they took it away because the person accepted the award. I, 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 you know, when you're humble, does it mean you don't look people in the eye, but you keep your head bowed? Does it mean when you're complimented, you say, oh, no, that's not true, even if it is? What does it mean to be humble? And I've come to believe, looking at the model of Jesus Christ, that it has more to do with how we live our lives than how we hang our heads. And I want to look at that today for a few moments in Philippians chapter 2. The first quality of humility is the ability to get beyond my own interest in order to be truly interested in other people. It doesn't have to be about me. It doesn't have to be about my agenda. Notice with me, if you will, Philippians 2 and verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There's that pride. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each one of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest 
of others. So a humble person takes into account the interest of others. I think it's much more active than that. A humble person actually invests in the lives of others. You might ask me, Wayne, are you interested in sports? And I'll say, yes, I'm interested in sports. About every weekend, I pop a bag of popcorn. I put that in one hand. I get my remote in the other hand. I sit on the couch, and I watch sports. I usually doze off on a football game about the second quarter, wake up about the beginning of the fourth quarter. If it's late at night, I just catch the result on the news the next morning, but I'm willing to invest a little of my popcorn and TV time in sports. Now, if you say, are you willing to put on a helmet or some pads or pick up a hockey stick? I'll say, I'm not that interested in sports. For a person who has invested their energy and risks their well-being to participate in sports, their interest is much greater. In fact, in business, sometimes the question is asked, do you have an interest in that company? It's more than just saying, you know, have you watched it in the newspaper? Have you tracked it on the news? It's saying, have you invested in that company? Do you have stock in that company? An interest in it. And I think in the same way, a humble person is willing to invest in the lives of others, and their interest is more than that of a spectator. It's that of an investor. Jesus Christ didn't look down from heaven saying, I'm interested in how human beings are doing, and not make an investment. But his interest was reflected in that investment. A second characteristic of a humble person. A willingness to serve God for the benefit of others. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. The word for servant there is a slave. He was willing to give up his basic rights. A slave is someone who's deprived of basic rights. He was willing to give up his basic rights in order to fulfill his God-given purpose. A proud person clings to power. They cling to their rights. A humble person says, I'm willing to release whatever rights I might have in order to fulfill the purposes of God. John Maxwell may be a name some of you have heard as well. He has a way of putting things in concise little statements. And one of those statements is, you have to give up to go up. In other words, if you want to have increasing influence in the lives of people, you need to be willing to give up your rights, relinquish your rights in order to invest in the lives of others. And so a humble person is a person who says, whatever God wants, no matter if it costs me my rights, position, prestige, whatever, 
I'll do it. That's the kind of humility that uh, Jesus exercised in, in these verses. Let me, before I go on, just mention one kind of finely sliced piece of that. You notice that I said willing to give up their rights in order to fulfill their God-given purpose so they can benefit others. I didn't say become a servant of others. I said become a servant of God for the benefit of others. Now, I found there's a difference, and the difference is between pleasing God and pleasing people. We must please God so we meet their real needs rather than pleasing people so we meet just their superficial, immediate felt needs. There's a difference between those two. You remember Jesus uh, said, I've come to usher in a spiritual kingdom. That is my purpose. And his disciples were more interested in an earthly kingdom. I want the right hand. I want the left hand. Being a servant didn't mean giving them what they wanted, the right and the left hand. Being a servant meant he knew ultimately what God had for him, the spiritual kingdom, would benefit them most. One more. This is the one that I struggle with most consistently. Being a humble person means fully obeying God. 100% going the distance. Not 60%, not 80%, not 95%, the whole deal. Verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man... He humbled himself, and he became obedient to death all the way, even death on a cross. You see, that was his purpose, and he said, I'm going to go all the way, 100% commitment. Now, this was in spite of some opportunities to be tempted to do less. Jesus drew crowds on a regular basis with his miracles and his parables, and then he would change his tone and say, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. That's not a crowd-pleasing message. That definitely thinned it out a bit. But he said, my purpose is not ultimately to draw a crowd with miracles and parables. It's to give my life. Even his close friends tried to convince him of another purpose. You remember Peter was the one who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, that's right, and I've come to give my life. And Peter says, may it never be so. You remember Jesus' reply, get thee behind me, Satan. Probably one of the people he was closest to tried to deter Jesus from going the distance for this purpose. Or the garden is what gets me, the garden of Gethsemane. Knowing fully the price that's ahead. Being very honest. He's not in denial at all about his feelings. If there's another way, God, let's, let's explore plan B. Let this cup pass from me. 
And yet he says, but it's not about my will. It's about your will. So you make the final call on this one. And it's that theme that's picked up after this passage discusses the life of Christ. It says, verse 12, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, not only when I'm watching, but even when no one's watching, now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to to his purpose. When I left here uh, 20 years ago, oh, I hate to say that. I stood up way too long, by the way, as we were going through those motions earlier. I knew that I needed to stay bowed before God. My motivation to do so was fear. One of the most powerful stories in my life is Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, the king, one day decides it's about him and his kingdom and what he's done. And he kind of walks around on the roof and he says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power? See, it's about power. And for the glory of my majesty, Nebuchadnezzar says, it's about me. God says, you think so? Why don't we have you go graze on some grass for a while? Think this over. And for the next period of time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's diet is basically the grass of the field. He was driven away from people and he ate grass like cattle. His body drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. There's a picture for you. And then it says, at the end of the time, I raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored and I praised the Most High. And here's his conclusion. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You see, I realize any time God wants to say, Wayne, go graze in the grass for a while. It's done. Anytime I start walking around, hands in my pocket, thinking about what I've done to change the world, God moves from being for me to being against me. It was that fear that initially motivated me to at least explore humility. These days, I'm trying to have it arise more out of a life of faith than a life of fear. But it's equally important. And so I want to pray about this closing idea. If 
God grants you the privilege of making some small difference in this world. Give it back to him. Because ultimately, our humility before him is what causes the change to last forever. And so I'd like to pray about that before you're on your way. Uh, so would you bow your heads with me, please? Father in heaven, as you look at the hearts of people in this room, you know the designs and plans you have for them. A project that began at the moment of conception, that continued when your spirit entered them at the point of salvation. You've placed within them a passion, spiritual gifts, personality all in keeping with your purpose. And I pray that every person here, student or alumni, will go the distance, fully obedient, 100%. And if you choose, by your sovereign plan, to use our lives in some small way, when it's done, may we say to you, you've done everything that's right, and your ways are just. And we're just grateful to be included by you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.